Well, we are in Luke chapter 8. And um, again, Jesus is showing us his authority. Uh, back in Luke chapter 4 and 5, uh, we were looking at uh, various texts and Luke was pointing out uh, the fact that Jesus has authority over all things. And we see this once again in chapter 8. Last week we looked at nature. That Jesus has authority over all nature. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus has authority over all demons. Um, Jesus isn't afraid of demons. I mean, Jesus, we're going to look at the fact that that uh, the demons request permission of Jesus to do anything. I mean, they can't do it of themselves. They request permission from Jesus to leave this man and be cast into to the pigs. We'll be looking at that. But uh, next week we'll be looking at the idea that Jesus has authority over all disease. And then finally, Jesus has authority over all death. All four of these texts in chapter 8 go together. Jesus has authority over uh, all things. And uh, when it comes to uh, the supernatural... You know, there's some people who are just really drawn to this. And they think that there is a a demon behind every bush. Uh, I heard of one, Jimmy May was telling me a few weeks ago that he's looking at me suspiciously now, but uh, he heard of a mom who was having a challenge with a junior hire who's about 12 years old. And he wanted somebody to uh, cast the, the demon of immaturity out of their child. And they were really serious. And just because you come across a personality that's a bit challenging or immature, it doesn't mean that they have a demon. You don't apply a demon to every struggle that you're going through. But some people have that nature about them. Um, And then there's other people who think, well, demons, they're not real. I mean, we should just ignore this text. It's just suspicion. This is what C.S. Lewis said about um, demons in his famous and popular book, The Screwtape Letters. He said this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about demons, devils. One is to disbelieve their existence, and the others to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors, with the same delight. And so, folks, we need to have a balanced approach when we come to this, this topic of uh, demons. Um, you know, as we read the Gospels... Um, Jesus is confronted with the enemy regularly. But this is really unique when it comes to the Bible. When you look at the Old Testament, there's really nothing mentioned about demons in the Old Testament other than Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis chapter 6, the first four or five verses, it talks about the fallen 
uh, demons, fallen angels coming to earth and having sexual relationships with with women, and there was a great deal of perversion taking place at that time, and ultimately uh, God destroyed the earth with a flood. If you go to Second Peter or or the book of Jude, uh, those two texts, and I'll just mention them: Second Peter chapter two, verses four and five, and Jude verses six and seven. Uh, talk about the fact that uh, those angels were cast uh, into utter darkness, and they are—they have been chained uh, from from all from the the point when where they had uh, had done that in Genesis chapter six. But that's really the only text in the Old Testament. If you look at the the letters of the New Testament, there's very little mentioned about demons. But when you come to the four Gospels and Jesus' ministry, I mean, these occurrences are very unique. And it's as if, uh, you know, Satan and his minions are just bringing everything they have have against Christ. And it's a very, these are are very real uh, events that are occurring. But beyond these events, and the book of Revelation, and at the end of time, when Satan and his demons are going to be unleashed uh, for a brief period of time until the, the return of Christ, um, this isn't a regular occurrence. Now, do demons exist? Absolutely. And if you go to uh, cultures that are full of idolatry and the occult, uh, their presence are more real. But in the United States or other places where uh, Judaism and Christianity are kind of the foundation of that culture, uh, they're more unseen. They're there, but uh, they are not obvious. They like, demons like to wear masks. They like to hide behind uh, religion and self-righteousness. Um, but when it came to the ministry of, of Jesus, they couldn't hide. I mean, they were confronted by Jesus. I mean, they would come out of hiding and, um, and have these uh, confrontations with Christ. And so these three years of Jesus' ministry and demons are very unique compared to the rest of of the Bible. And that doesn't mean we are to ignore them. And, uh, but I do want to uh, point out some truths from this text this morning. So before I do, let's read chapter 8, starting with verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus has stepped out on land, There met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Again, demons know who Jesus is. I mean, their Christology of of Jesus is is impeccable. 
They, they know who Jesus is. I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He had kept under guard. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the, the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. When people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people, the surrounding country of the Gerasenes, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home. Declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Six truths I want to talk about very briefly this morning um, surrounding, concerning this demonized man. The first truth is this. Demonic influence can have extreme consequences. Now, we are seeing a an extreme event occur. The Bible says this man is naked, didn't have any clothes. He, he lived in a graveyard. Uh, people had tried to help him before. They had put him in chains so that he wouldn't harm himself or he wouldn't harm other people. But because of these demons, he was so strong that he would break uh, the binding of these chains. And so uh, he was just running around creating havoc and fear everywhere. Um, if, you, if you walk near the, the graveyard, the, the, the cemetery, and this man saw you, here he would come screaming and shrieking, stark naked, you know, trying to do harm to you. Can you imagine, um, you know, this kind of situation? I mean, these are extreme consequences. Uh, Mark chapter 5 says this, Night and day he was gashing and hacking at his naked body with sharp stones. He was mutilating himself. We have a word for that today. It's called cutting. And uh, there's a lot of people who struggle with mental illness and some of them cut themselves. Why? Because they're in so much pain. They want to erase the emotional pain so they'll resort to physical pain. 
Now, does that mean that they're demon-possessed? No. We, we have to be careful at lumping all mental illness into the category of demon possession. That's not true. Now, I think in our culture today, we all want, we, you know, professionals want to, le- to label le- uh, um, demon possession as mental illness. And there may very well be some cases where there's demon possession taking place. But not everybody who struggles with mental illness is demon uh, possessed. But people who resort to cutting themselves, they certainly are oppressed by the enemy. And understand, my friend, if you're here and if you're a, a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a child of God, know that Satan cannot possess you. He certainly can oppress you. Satan oppressed the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, the last chapter of 2 Corinthians. The Bible says that Satan had sent uh, a message uh, to, uh, to buffet him. He was sent a thorn in the flesh, and God allowed that for a purpose. But if you're a child of God, the Bible says you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so Satan or his minions cannot possess you, but they certainly can oppress you. And if you're not a child of God this morning, understand you are under the influences of Satan. You know, I'm reminded, I don't know if you heard the news. I'm sure many of you did. Rick and Kay Warren, um, Rick sent out an email to uh, the church family uh, yesterday. Um, Their son, Matthew, 27 years old, who's been struggling with mental illness his entire life, committed suicide Friday night. Uh, And uh, you can imagine the grief that Rick and Kay Warren are going through right now, pastor of Saddleback Valley Community Church. God has used Rick and Kay Warren mightily all over the world, bringing people to Jesus Christ. And they're going through this uh, very terrible valley right now. I, I just want to read you this uh, email that he sent to, the, to his church family. Over the past 33 years, we've been together through every kind of crisis. Kay and I have been privileged to hold your hands if you, as you have faced crisis or loss, stand with you at gravesides, and prayed for you when ill. Today, we need your prayer for us. No words can express the anguished grief we feel right now. Our youngest son, Matthew, age 27, and a lifelong member of Saddleback, died today. You who watched Matthew grow up knew he was an incredibly kind, gentle, and compassionate man. He had a brilliant intellect and a gift for sensing who was most most in pain or most uncomfortable in a room. He'd then make a beeline to that person to engage and encourage them. But only those closest 
knew that he struggled from birth with mental illness, dark holes of depression, and even suicidal thoughts. In spite of America's best doctors, meds, counselors, and prayers for healing, the torture of a mental illness never subsided. Today, after a fun evening together with Kay and me, in a momentary wave of despair at his home, he took his life. Kay and I are often marveled at his courage to keep moving in spite of relentless pain. I'll never forget how many years ago, after another approach had failed to give relief, Matthew said, Dad, I know I'm going to heaven. Why can't I just die and end this pain? But he kept going for another decade. Thank you for your love and prayers. We love you back, Pastor Rick. Let's pray for Rick and Kay. Father, you know the loss, the grief, the valley that Rick and Kay are going through. And Lord, I pray that they would know your presence in a very real way. God, we know that through this tragedy, Rick and Kay are going to be a model, an example to the rest of us of how to grieve. I pray, that Father, that you would be glorified in this situation. I pray for individuals here in this room who are being oppressed by the enemy. Father, that you would encourage them and help them to see, see the hope that is in Jesus alone. God, we don't understand mental illness. We don't understand all that Matthew was going through. But we pray that Jesus, that you would use his life and this situation to encourage others who struggle with mental illness and that Jesus would be lifted up. And as a church, that Lord, that we would be here for those who struggle in our church family. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here we see an extreme example of demonic influence. But I've got good news. Here's the second truth from this text. Everyone gave up on this person but Jesus. This man was left, left alone. Now in Matthew chapter 8, he had a partner too that was in the graveyard, was demon-possessed too. But as the story goes on, it just focuses on this one individual. But society... Everybody said, just leave him alone. Uh, we can't do anything else for him. And he's, he's by himself. And my friends, it's not a coincidence that Jesus' boat landed right at the shore where this graveyard is. There's no coincidence in God's vocabulary. Jesus had a divine appointment with this man who was under this demonic 
influence. And even if you're here today and you feel alone, like there is nobody to talk to, my friend, there is. Pray for a friend that you can open up to. Come to me. You're not going to find judgment here. If you have suicidal thoughts, you know what? A lot of people struggle with suicidal thoughts and depression. This needs to be a safe place where you can share. I want to encourage you about the Hope Recovery Center that's just opened up here in Ridgecrest, and they meet on Friday nights at 7 o'clock. I encourage you to go there if you're you're struggling with with oppression or, or addiction. There's help. There's resources. There's Jesus. And Jesus was there for this individual. And it's only through Christ that life is possible. Matthew, Warren, knew Jesus. And had he just picked up the phone and say, cry for help, he very well could be alive today. Ending your life is not the answer. Look at the heartache that that choice makes makes for others who go on without you. It's not worth it. Jesus can change your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is a Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus didn't give up on this man when everybody else did. Third point, what demons hurt, Jesus heals. Demons were trying to destroy this man. He was mutilating himself. He was alone. He was naked. He was at the end of himself. And what what Satan was trying to destroy, Jesus wants to heal. Jesus changes lives. And if you're here this morning, and if you're oppressed, you're possessed, You're at the end of yourself. I've got some good news for you. Jesus wants to be there for you. Maybe everybody else has given up on you, but Jesus hasn't. He wants to change you, but you've got to cry out for help. You've got to surrender yourself to him. Don't try to live this life alone. Acknowledge your sin. Confess your sin, and he will remove your unrighteousness and replace it with his righteousness, the great exchange. The fourth amazing truth in this passage of scripture, Jesus's authority over demons is demonstrated with one word. The demons are nothing compared to Jesus. They had, they had to ask for permission to be cast into the pigs. They were afraid that Jesus was going to cast them into the abyss, the the place of eternal torment. You know what that means? That demons know that their time on earth is limited. They know their eternal destiny. 
that the abyss is awaiting them at the end of time. And they ask that Jesus, that they, Jesus not cast them into the abyss yet, but rather requested permission that they be cast into the pigs. And what did Jesus do? Well, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 32, this, this same story, Jesus only says, go. One word, and they flee. Flee into the pigs. The Bible says these, uh, these, these demons. Now, how many demons were there? Uh, the man's name that was possessed, uh, the, the demon said that his name was Legion. If you know what the name Legion means in uh, 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 Ro- the Roman army, it means 6,000 soldiers. Now, were there 6,000 demons in this individual? Well, we don't know for sure because demons lie as well. But there could have been 2,000 demons because they entered uh, 2,000 pigs. The Bible says they ran off the cliff and, and, and uh, drowned in the lake. It's a swine dive. Oh, you'll get it later. I know, that's bad. Uh, Rob Ostrom told me after the service, this was uh, the first incident of uh, deviled ham. I don't know. I don't know about that. But uh, again, demons are nothing compared to Jesus. Luke chapter 11, verse 32, the Bible says that uh, Jesus with his finger causes demons to flee. He doesn't even need the strong arm of God. He just uses his finger. Jesus has all authority over Satan and his dominions. And then the fifth truth from this passage is I want you to see the damning power of rejection. You know, some people think that, you know, we can grow a church if we just have miracles take place in our congregation. If if people would just see uh, Jesus do... uh, Miraculous miracles in people's lives. People will come and watch that. That didn't happen in this text. The Bible says that they watched Jesus cast these demons out of this individual. They became afraid. They went back to the town. They they told the people of the town. The town came out and saw this demon-possessed man now in his right mind sitting at the foot of Jesus, made whole. And the Bible says that they were afraid, afraid of Jesus. And they told Jesus to leave. They would rather live with this demon-possessed man than with, with Jesus and what he could do in people's lives. In their minds, the pigs, the pigs were of more importance then this man made well. You know, we live in a culture like that today where we ignore what's happening in a mother's womb. We won't even acknowledge that as being life. And yet we'll spend billions of billions of dollars to go to other planets to find just one bacteria And if we find that one bacteria, there's life on that planet. But we don't acknowledge the life that's happening in a mother's womb. 
Susan saw something on Facebook last night that said that, you know, when a heart stops beating, that that person has died. Well, why don't we acknowledge the fact that when a heart starts beating, that that is life. And that's what happens so early in a mother's womb. We saw it on the video this morning. And in fact, the Bible says that life begins at conception. Elizabeth knew that the Messiah was in Mary's womb just days after the angel had pronounced that she was going to be carrying God's son. Life begins at conception and every life is precious to the eyes of God. Your life is valuable, my friend. Matthew's life was valuable to God. And if you're struggling with emotional darkness and and depression, just know that you're a winner. Jesus died for you. You won the race at conception. Think about this. Of all the billions of sperm that lined up on that day, you won. You're a winner. God loves you. God sent his son for you. These men rejected, this community rejected Jesus. And guess what? Jesus answered their request. And he left. Don't reject Jesus. But then we see Even though Jesus left, he left behind a witness. The demon-possessed man that Jesus made well, he wanted to go with Jesus. You know, he's thinking to himself, I don't want to be reminded of my past. People people know who I've been, and they're going to reject me. Jesus... Can I go with you? Jesus said, no, you need to stay and you need to tell your story. And he did. And as he told his story, guess what? The gospel spread. If you go back to that region on the eastern shores of the Sea of Galilee, you'll find foundations of early churches that were started because of this young man's testimony. I'll take you back to Psalm chapter 107, verse 2. When Jesus does a work in our life, friend, when God does a work, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Tell your story. Jesus still changes lives. If you're here struggling this morning, I've got good news for you. Jesus can change your life. But you've got to cry out to him. Let's pray.
friend, are you uh, are you being oppressed these days? Has has God allowed a messenger of of Satan to send a thorn into your life to remind you of your need for God? In your weakness, God wants to make himself strong. He doesn't want you to live this life alone. Call out to Jesus and call a friend that you can trust and say, can we talk? Don't go it alone. Jesus can set you free. And my friend, if Jesus has set you free, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Tell your story. Encourage others who are struggling. That Jesus changes lives. Father, may we, we as Emmanuel Baptist Church, be a lighthouse, be a hospital for those who hurt, for those who need healing. God, keep us from being a rest home for saints. Help us to see those who are desperate for you and, and be there for them. Father, I pray that you would put a song in each of our hearts, a heart of hope, knowing that, Jesus, you're there to help. This is our testimony. This is our song as we lift it to you this morning. In Jesus' name.